here we are, Lord. We want to go where you lead us, including um, in the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts today. We pray that you will speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So the official long title of this sermon series is In Spirit and in Truth, Worship and Mission in the Church. And we've been talking for the last four weeks, this is the fifth week, we've been talking for the last four weeks about worship. We said worship is not about us, it is not about our preferences, but it's also not about our worthiness or unworthiness, it's about God's worthiness. God is worthy of worship. We also talked about how worship is about us, because human beings are worshiping beings. We are designed to worship, we will worship literally anything, because we're designed to worship, but when we worship the one true God, that's how we most truly express our humanity, and that's how we are fulfilled. We talked about our theme verse, which is uh, John 4, 23, and I think 24. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And we talked about how that verse shows us that worship is an intimate relationship of delight with God. Worship is a participation in the life of the Trinity, worshipers for the Father in the spirit and in truth. And we talked about why. Why does God invite us into his Trinity life? Because he loves us. We are the desire of his heart. So we've talked a lot about worship, but we haven't really said a whole lot about mission, have we? And that's in the title. Um, but So we haven't really, but we're about to. How would you define mission? Helping others? Outreach, a calling, purpose. Okay, these are all, this, these are great. Um, a lot of times in the church, when we talk about mission, we're also talking about sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. And there's a pastor in Minnesota named John Piper, and he wrote a book about missions called Let the Nations Be Glad. And he his sort of thesis statement for that book is, Mission exists because worship doesn't. And his point is that if we're all designed to be worshiping God, we know that most of the world doesn't worship God, right? And so we, our mission as true worshipers of God is to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. That's what Jesus said. That was the great commission. And it's true that our fulfilled, our humans, fulfilled glorious destiny is spirit and truth delight in God. But because in the here and now, not everybody knows God, we must introduce them. And that is mission. In Jeremiah 31, there are some I love these verses, verses 33 and 34. Jeremiah writes, this is the covenant, but it's God's words. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. I just love that passage. I love that it speaks to God's forgiveness of us and our reconciliation with him. And we'll all know him. We'll all be able to worship in spirit and in truth. And until then, though, most of those of us who have accepted Jesus' invitation into his Trinity life with the Father and the Spirit do need to reach out to our neighbors. We do need to teach our neighbors know the Lord. Near and far, our neighbors here in Southbridge, our neighbors further out in the state, our neighbors around the world. And now we can do that because we have the internet and this is part of our mission as followers of Jesus. But this is pretty much as of this week. As of this week, I am starting to wonder if rather than saying missions exist because worship doesn't, it's better to say missions exists because worship does. Here's what I mean. Remember two weeks ago or so I said, I quoted this guy and I don't have the exact quote here, but he said something like, um, the most loving thing a supremely loving being could do would be to create other beings to receive that love. And I think that's true. And if it's true, then this supremely loving being who expresses his love by sending it outward to other beings, he made us to be in relationship with him. So therefore, we must be designed to also express love outward, the love of God outward, specifically. If we are connected in spirit and in truth with a supremely loving being, that love will pour out from us. It's what we were made for. And that is also mission. Mission is what we get out of worship. God gets our love out of worship, which is the desire of his heart. But we get mission. Mission is what's in it for us because when we are so delighted in God that we express his love outwards, we get the two things, the two other things that we need to be human. Purpose, like Barbara said, and community. Our purpose is to express God's love to the rest of creation, people and, and the other parts of creation, and community united with other people in God's love. And the Samaritan woman gives us a great picture of this. She started at the beginning of this chapter. We've, we've been looking at John chapter 4 for, this is now five weeks. And at the beginning of it, this woman was an isolated, outcast woman. She was avoiding people. By the end of this story, she is, in effect, a worshiper. 
She is leading an entire community who used to not accept her to Jesus. She has this moment with Jesus at the well where he shows her that he knows everything about her, good, bad, and ugly, and he still accepts her. He shows her that he knows this in the context of telling her what a true worshiper is. So you know that he is saying he is inviting her to be one of these true worshipers. And then he more or less confides in her more um, specifically, more <laughs> I have a hard time doing this, which is why I can't find the word for this. Um, he doesn't use any metaphors. He just tells her he is the Messiah. He just flat out says it. And he invites her into the joyful united life of the Trinity, worship of the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And the first thing she does is not sit down at the well with Jesus and stay there or try to keep him all to herself. No, she's, she's not into this just solitary Jesus and me all by myself. She leaves her water jar at the well and runs back to town to tell everybody. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So it's true. We, we acknowledged this last week. The disciples had just shown up, and maybe it was a little awkward for her having them there. But I don't think that's the only reason she went back to town, because if she didn't somehow know that this invitation of Jesus to become a true worshiper of the Father in spirit and in truth, if she didn't think that that was just for her, she probably would have, if, no, if she thought it was just for her, she probably would have filled up her water jar, taken it with her, and headed back to town as quietly as she got to the well. If she thought Jesus' message was just for her. But that is not what she did. Because somehow she knew that the Father was seeking more than one true worshiper. It was not just about her. Somehow she knew, also, she couldn't actually be a true worshiper if she kept it to herself. And so the very act of her running back to town to tell people about this incredible man she had encountered, that act itself was worship. She was participating in the life of the Trinity because she was actively seeking worshipers for the Father now, too, just like Jesus. She was helping to fulfill the desire of God's heart in this way. And she was proclaiming the truth about Jesus as far as she knew it. She knew that he knew her. And she believed that he just might be, she asks it as a question when she tells the townspeople about it, she said, could this be the Messiah? But she knows it's the Messiah because he said he was. He's the Messiah. And in all of this, she is being fulfilled in the way that she was created to be. Because suddenly now, where she had no community and no purpose, she has a mission and a community. God has designed us to worship, but God has also designed us to exist with purpose in community. This was, we've said this before, this is what that verse in Genesis means when it says, 
God said it was not good for the man to be alone. It's not just about a romantic relationship. It's not just about a sexual relationship. It is about community. It is not good for human beings to be alone. God designed us to exist with purpose in community, in spirit and in truth. So here's a question. Can you be a true worshiper, the kind of person the Father seeks, if you believe in Jesus, but for, a, for long term, you avoid community? Some of them, although they they usually had communities too. I think it is very tough to be a true worshiper, to have a true worshiping relationship with God in the spirit and in truth if you are intentionally avoiding community with other people who also are trying to worship God in spirit and in truth. I think sometimes God does call us away for a, a sort of a reset, a little bit of time. That is That can happen. But I don't think it's possible to stay separated from a community of Jesus people for long and remain well-connected to him. I'm not necessarily talking about eternal salvation. I'm just talking about being a true worshiper, which is what the Father seeks. Being in community is hard. At best, it can just be annoying. Because none of us do what the other, what we want each other to do 100% of the time. We don't always see things eye to eye. There's, that's just a reality. At worst, sometimes, especially religious communities, Christian but other ones too, can become abusive. This is real, and that's not the topic of this sermon right now, but if have had that experience in a church before. Um, I work with a lot of people through the pilgrimage that have that experience, so I know it's real. Um, and it is why we have church commitments. They are written down on paper. We might have some at the back of the sanctuary, but if you would like to see those, feel free to reach out to us and we can get them to you. But even though being in community can be hard, Let's consider the Samaritan woman's experience of community before this. Her community was likely abusive and victim-shaming. To whatever degree she was responsible for the lifestyle that she was living, there were still other people that had sinned against her. It's never just a one-way street. And being a woman in that time period was difficult anyway, and so it is very likely that her community that she lived in, that she could not get out of, the best she could do was avoid the people, they were, they treated her shamefully, which is why she's going to the well in the middle of the day by herself. And yet, in spite of that, her encounter with Jesus compelled her to run back to that same community and bring them to Jesus too. This is incredible. This is not a normal human response. This is not how we normally respond to people when they have wronged us. This is what a true worshiping relationship with Jesus Christ does. Crazy stuff. 
When our communities have lost their way, the solution is not, long-term anyway, is not to forge a small Jesus and me isolated corner. Because Jesus won't let you, won't let me, won't let anybody who's trying to isolate, if we're in relationship with him, he will not let us stay isolated for long. Maybe he will encourage us to find another body of believers to unite with. That is sometimes a real thing. It's happened to me. You can't always remain in the same community that you left. And the one that you go to isn't going to be perfect either, but it might be the one that God is leading you to for another season. And where he wants to plant you and where he wants you to continue to grow. But... Jesus won't allow us to stay removed forever from a com some kind of community of his people because true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the kind of worship that the Father seeks is the kind that enables us to fulfill both the first and the second greatest commandments. Worship in the spirit and in truth means that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, and all our soul, and all our mind, and all our strength. And the way that we do that is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the community of Jesus Christ is the first place, it's the place where we practice. So that we can love the rest of the world. The best way to love our neighbors, near and far, is to introduce them to the one who will quench their soul's thirst too and join with them in worshiping community. The Samaritan woman, like every human, had been worshiping an idol. In her case, her idol was something like men or sex or something related to that, and she was not fulfilled by this idol, and we know this because of how many men she had been with. Worship of this idol had kept her isolated within her own community. Worship of anything other than God will isolate us. It just will. One way or another. But her encounter with Jesus and his invitation to her to become a true worshiper changed all that. She runs right back to the community where she used to live as an outcast. She tells them about the Messiah and... This is also incredible. They believe her. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. That's a pretty short testimony. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet, so she doesn't know to tell them about that part. And they still believe. Somehow she's communicating that Jesus is for them, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus is good news. Sort of like what Kathleen did for us this morning. I actually feel like you were kind of the object lesson. Just I imagine that this woman had that same enthusiasm, that same excitement, that same joy, that same love just pouring out of her. That alone is a testimony because before that, she was avoiding everybody. 
And they believe her testimony, and because they believe her testimony, they actually get to meet Jesus for themselves. They go with her, and they meet him in person, and they invite him to stick around for a couple of days, and he does. I wonder how the disciples felt about that. And then they invite him into their lives, and by doing that, they are also, they are also accepting his invitation into his Trinity life in worship. They say, we no longer believe just because of what you said, Samaritan woman. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. John Piper also writes, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. And this, I think, is really true. The Christian's mission is to introduce people to God, love people with the power and love of God, so that all of us, all together, all people, all nations, can be glad together in the greatness of God. The Samaritan woman became a true worshiper. She became passionate about another man but a man like none she had ever met before, and one she knew she could never keep to herself. After discovering that in Jesus her thirsty soul could be fulfilled, her own self-fulfillment was no longer her priority. Her priority was the gladness, the delight in God of other people, even the people who had hurt her, even the people who had shamed her, she wanted them to delight in God, too. And in the process of helping that to happen, cooperating with Jesus in that happening, she was fulfilled even more. Because she received a mission, a purpose, to join with Jesus in seeking other worshipers for the Father. And she received community, other people with whom to unite in worship. Human beings were made to worship. True worship means participating in the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For humans, participating in the life of God means living his life through our bodies in the world, introducing others to Jesus, inviting others into his life, and in this way, building a community united in the delight of God. Whether Jew or Gentile or Samaritan, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is what the celebration of communion is about. Communion is a most solemn but also joyful expression of worship. It is the symbol of participating in the life of God at God's expense, uniting with him and uniting with his true worshipers throughout the world. 